Well, what does it say to us that every year, every single year, the body of Christ and the world all come back to celebrate this time of the year? What does it say to you, and have you ever asked yourself the question, even for people who are not Christians, what is it about this time of the year that just draws us back to want to worship, to want to ask ourselves about Christmas? And those who don't worship still want to celebrate. I look and I don't get upset about the Christmas decorations in the mall. Sometimes I wish they would... Um, I just thought the reason I don't get upset is I don't go to the mall but one time a year. <laughs> but I don't get upset about it. I just kind of wish they'd wait a little bit and let's enjoy Thanksgiving. There is truth to delayed gratification brings greater joy. You know, there is truth to that. But I, after the game last night, I was so tense and so stressed. Pastor Rick, do you know how I feel? You just feel like you need to put one more touchdown on the board just to be sure, you know. And I... Um, I went for a walk. I said, Becky, I said, I'm so stressed. I just need to go walk. And I was walking through our subdivision, and ours is just like so many others. It's just lit up spectacularly. I mean, all of the lights, trees shining. I even have two neighbors. I don't know what the deal is, but they got Christmas trees hanging upside down. And uh, I really want to know, how do you do that? <laughs> you know, just the curious part of me. But I love lights. I love seeing the city streets. I love seeing the decorations. And I, I love getting our lights up. But I do have a change of heart about some things since we moved to Michigan years ago. And that is, number one, we should be allowed to put up our Christmas lights when daylight savings time starts, right? Because it's so cold. Number two, we should be allowed to leave them on, leave them up on the house. We don't have to turn them on. But we should be allowed to leave them up on the house until you no longer have to turn your headlights on to take your kids to school in the morning. Can you agree with me on that? Because the worst time of the thing, the worst way to start the new year is having to come home from Georgia and take down all those Christmas lights in the snow. But I love the lights. I love how it makes everything so festive and so bright. And this morning, we're going to start a brand new series that we're calling Look for the Light. Because just as Maggie and the group are singing just now, Christmas is all about the light of Jesus Christ. We're going to go to the book of John to start this series with. John takes a little different perspective in writing about God than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke really zero in on the holiness of God, and they let you see the brightness the holiness of God. They let you see the penalty for our sins and what Jesus did. But when John writes, and John is famous for this, he's called the apostle of love. When John writes about the holiness of God, he refers to it as light and love. So when you're reading about God's holiness in the book of John, John really makes Jesus so approachable. And the way he starts is just like, for those of you that have gone through the book of Genesis with me on our midweek services, the way he starts is the same way. It's, it's just that remembrance of Genesis in the beginning. And he's going, if you'll read the book of John, light will figure throughout the book of John. Love will figure throughout the book of John. And you'll find that Jesus didn't come into the world 
to judge the world, but the world through him might be saved. And you see the very nature and the desire of God. That's what makes Christmas so very, very special. And when we think of light, I want you to think of the fact that when we celebrate a birthday, we light candles. Matter of fact, Mark, this was your 51st birthday yesterday, was it? Let's give Mark a hand. 51 years. Wow. 51 years. Somebody ought to take him out to lunch and just treat him really good. All of us ought to. But uh, Mark came in my office and yesterday, and I don't know if he's expecting sympathy from me or not, but he says, I've already lived a half a century. I looked at him and I says, I've already lived six-tenths of a century. Pastor Rick is almost at the century mark, you know. <laughs> the best is yet to be, Mark. You know, it's going to get better. And all of us that are past 50 say, amen. It gets better and better. It really, really does. But we light candles. And so we'll be treating Mark to a birthday dinner this week. And we're going to sing and light some candles on a cake and celebrate his birthday. We use light when we celebrate. We, we use light when we come to a church service on a Christmas Eve night and we celebrate the birth of Christ, we will extinguish or shut out all the lights in the building and we'll light one candle and then suddenly this whole room in just less than a minute or maybe just a little more than a minute, it will fill with candlelight. It's one of the most beautiful sights, especially for me as a pastor. In Genesis, God creates a light to rule the day called the sun. He creates the moon to rule the night. I was out for a run Monday night and um, it gets dark so early, and I just wanted to go to the park. And there was a half a moon, and so I could see, and so I ran through the park. And I could see really well, and then I had to run through this, if you've ever run in the metro parks, I had to run through these trees. And I was running through those trees, and all of a sudden, I lost my light. And when I lost my light, there were critters on the asphalt. I got scared because I couldn't see them critters. Next thing I knew, I twisted my ankle. I stepped on a limb that was laying on the side. I was glad to get back in the light. And then I got smart. I walked back to the car, got in the car, and came home because there wasn't enough light. I mean, we need the sun to rule the day, the moon to rule the night. And when God decided to speak to these pagans, these pagan astrologers, now think about this. This would be like the 800 numbers we have today, Dial 1-800 for your astrologer, you know. There were these pagan astrologers, wise men. God put a light in the sky at a right time. We believe in Persia, Iran. Put a light in the sky at the right time and led them from paganism to the birthplace of our Lord and Savior. And there they worshiped the king, giving him gold and frankincense and myrrh. You think that was accidental? I mean, this is a powerful story. So I want you to stand with me as we go to the book of John, and we're going to talk about him that refers to himself as the light of the world. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created. Read this phrase with me. And his life brought light to everyone. Now think about that. The sun brings light to everyone. A few years ago, one of the young women in our church gave our family the Michael Buble 
CD, and my favorite song on there is Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. You ever, how many of you like Michael Buble? Well, I changed the words of that one time when I was reading this. Have yourself a global little Christmas. You should clap. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I know that sounds corny, but when I read this, this is what I think of. The light for every nation, for every continent in the world, amen? This is, if this is not a missions theme for a missions-loving church, have yourself a global Christmas. His life brought light to everyone, and the light shines in darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Skipping down to verse 9. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. Read this with me. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn not with a physical rebirth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. See, there are two ways you can respond to Christmas. You can say, I believe you. Oh, Jesus, I believe you. I believe your word, and I accept you. Or you can say, I reject you. He loves you either way. But if you receive the light, just as my life was transformed, your life can be transformed. Just as surely as I couldn't see in the dark under those trees in the park, I could see by the half-light of the moon, you will see by the brilliant light of Jesus Christ. God will transform your life. So the Word became human, and this still blows me away. Jesus became a man. I don't know how he did it, but he did. So the Word became human and made his home among us. And he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory. Now, when you think of glory, you've got to think of the Old Testament because glory was always manifested in light. The Shekinah glory of God, the brilliant colors that came out. Pastor Mark told me something this week in discussing the message that all the colors in the color spectrum, they're all contained in white light, right? So that's the reason we talk about having a white hot heart for God. All of the colors contained in that. So this glory, or the light of God, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Our Father in heaven, there are no words to adequately express how much we love you. And there may be some here that, as of yet, they don't love you, but they're here, Lord. Somehow or another, in your plan, you've brought them to this place. They're right where you want them. And I ask you in the next few minutes that light will shine and that they'll understand and believe and receive the greatest gift of all this Christmas season, Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Lord, thank you. Thank you for calling me to be a pastor and a preacher. Thank you for calling me to be the pastor of this church. Thank you for giving me the love that you supernaturally gave me not only for this congregation, but for our community. I'm always constantly aware that was your doing, Lord. And thank you that you called some of us to be preachers, but you call all of us, everyone in this room, you call us to be witnesses. And I'm constantly aware of that. You call us to witness in the power of the Holy Spirit not something trumped up, but just recognizing 
that as followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives within us. You call us to be witnesses to that life-transforming grace that you give us. So I pray in the next few minutes, would you speak to us and would you make this word shine in our hearts? For it's in Jesus' holy name I pray. Lord, we're living in some uncertain times. They're not the worst of times. But God, they're disturbing times. And you've put us here for a reason, to bear witness to the light. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Grab your outline and get your pencil or pen and follow along with me. In just a few days, you'll be able to do this if you'd like on your iPad or your um, your, um, iPhone or Android phone. By the way, if you'll go to our website this week, I'll be sending out an email later today. The pastors have all written a devotional to kind of go along with this message this morning, and so I think you'll be wanting to, to read those this week as well. Well, first of all, the light of Christmas is Jesus Christ. The light of Christmas is Jesus Christ. Every time I look at lights, whether there's a secular scene or whether there's a Christian scene, whether it's a nativity or not a nativity, when I look at those lights, it reminds me. It goes all the way back to my mother telling me when we were children and we would be driving to South Georgia to my grandmother's for our annual Christmas celebration with her. And then we would drive to my father's side of the family for an annual Christmas celebration with them. We do a lot of driving at Christmas time, don't we? You know, it just is a lot of families to visit. But when we would go through those little towns, especially in South Georgia, we would be looking at all the lights, and Mother would constantly be reminding us, the lights would remind us of Jesus Christ. That's what Martin Luther said about the candles on a Christmas tree, that the, the lights of the candles were to remind us that Jesus was the light of the world. The green of the Christmas tree was to remind us that God gives us eternal life. And I think we really, as a church, we have to recapture that let me use the word magic, that, that, that supernatural sense that when we look at Christmas and the light of Christmas, we recognize that we have come into the presence of a holy and a supernatural God and be transformed by that. We're living in days where people are really, really worried. I mean, the news every day is kind of shocking to us. We're worried about the political scene. We're worried about the economy of our nation. We're worried about the future of our children. I didn't realize how much it was affecting some of our children until a mom said recently just, we're coming home from a cocky game and my teenage son asked me, mom, things really look dark right now. Is it going to get any better? Mom, what's my life going to be like when I graduate from high school? Will I be able to go to college? Will I be able to have a career? Mom, things really look bad and suddenly this mother realizes and makes me realize that even our teenagers are being affected by the constant 24-7 news barrage that we're having of people shouting and screaming at one another on television and radio and friends, I have to submit to you as a pastor because I love you. It is just not healthy to listen to that stuff day in and day out. God is in charge of this world and we need to teach our children that as they follow Jesus Christ, God makes a way even through the wilderness. Can you say amen to that? 
God makes a way. God provides a way where there is no way. I've told my children in times past, I remember when housing rates and interest rates were 24%, and Becky and I thought we could never get a home, and we bought our first home when the current rates were at 22%, and we got a house. We built our first house at 11% interest. Now, you just gag at that, but back then, that was quite a bargain for a young couple to get an 11% interest loan. We had saved our money. We put 25% down on our house and bought our property and built our house, and God blessed, but God made a way. And friends, that's what we have to let our children know. There's something powerful about light, light that can, can heal, light that can cut, light that can pass through steel. Light has this powerful property about it, and light is there to remind us of who Christ is. When Jesus came into the world, friends, it was a really, really dark time in history. It was especially a dark time if you were not Roman. It was especially a dark time if you were not a Roman soldier because you literally had carte blanche from the emperor to do whatever you wanted to do to whoever you wanted to do it to and to take whatever you wanted in the name of Rome. And so it was a dark time, but God said it was in the fullness of time. And no matter whether you lived in the Depression, the Great Depression, or whether you lived through one of the Great World Wars, or whether you're living today, for you and I, this is the fullness of our time that God has put us here on this planet that we could be a light for others to see Jesus Christ. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? It's our time. It's our time. Say that with me. It's our time. Now make it personal. It's my time. There used to be a song out when I was younger called It's My Time Now. Friends, it's our time in history. And you say, Pastor, how can you be so sure? Look at verse 5 with me. For the light shines in darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Jesus promised us that the darkness of this world will never overcome the light of Jesus Christ. No matter how dark things get, no matter how hard things get, the darkness of this world will never overcome. The challenges cannot overcome. I know that we're afraid of the dark. I got afraid on that trail when a critter ran in front of me and I remembered there are coyotes around through those woods. And I don't know if I looked delicious or not to them, but I felt delicious to them. And so I wanted to get back into the light because I know the coyotes don't like the light. Shel Silverstone who writes a lot of children's books. He has one called Afraid of the Dark or a poem. He says, I'm Reginald Clark. I'm afraid of the dark, so I always insist on the light on. Anybody in here afraid of the dark? Anybody in here don't light the dark? You know, we light up our houses. When I was going through a walk last night, there were some houses that had no Christmas decorations up, but I'm on the sidewalk. And all of a sudden, when I walk in front of their house, their lights come on because I might be a thief or I might be a predator. My lights come on like that because we never know. We're afraid of the dark. You go into communities that don't have street lights and people feel nervous. Campers love flashlights, don't they? How many campers do we have in the room this morning? How many of you campers, you've got a flashlight or two in all of your gear? Can I see your hand? Oh, sure. How many of you have ever gone to the bathroom at night without a flashlight? Uh-huh, not a pleasant experience, is it? You find a tree root that you didn't know was there. You lose your way when you didn't know it was there. My son gave me a couple years ago a flashlight. I've got this big flashlight that's a, that was given to me by a police officer. Thing takes a ton of batteries in it to make it work, but it's brilliant. But my son gave me this little bitty flashlight that takes a 
very expensive battery. That thing will burn your eyeballs out of your head. It lights up the night. It just puts light everywhere. And he says, Dad, we use these in Iraq. We use these when we were going house to house and building to building. And he says, it could temporarily paralyze somebody. So be careful with this light. Whenever I travel at night, that light's in my glove compartment. I don't have a gun, but buddy, if you come at me, I got a flashlight. And I'm going to burn your eyes out if I can find them. But here's the thing. The light has the power to overcome the darkness. It's why Reginald Clark, afraid of the dark, insisted that the light be on. Something about light demystifies the darkness. Something about light demystifies the night. Something about light takes away the scariness of all the dark things of life. That's the reason that God says that people who hate light, they love the darkness for the deeds that they can do in secret. I've never met a thief yet that liked the light. I've never met someone who's trying to get away with something that liked the light of day. I've never met a politician, a preacher, or any unfaithful spouse that likes the light to shine upon their unfaithfulness or the breaking of their word because light exposes. But light also heals. That's why Jesus said in John 8 and verse 12, I am the light of the world. And he's not talking about the planet. He's talking about you and me. And it's why Paul could say in Acts 17 and verse 28, in him, in Christ, we live, we move, we exist. We have our being in Jesus Christ. We can't live without the light. If you agree with that, say amen. Amen. We can't live without light. The second thing I'd like you to see this morning is the light of Christmas replaces my confusion with clarity, my confusion with the world, my confusion about life. When I experience the light of Jesus Christ and all of a sudden I begin to understand what life is all about. Did you know, this is not in your outline, but did you know that in Psalms 119 and verse 130 that the Bible says, the teaching or the preaching, the exposition of God's word, that it gives understanding to ordinary people. It gives light to ordinary people, people like you and me, people who need to understand what life is all about. What does that mean? You understand. You understand who God is. You understand yourself better. You understand other people better. You understand how to handle your money better. You understand what the future holds better. You understand what all is going on in this world better and how to cope with it because suddenly you have light. You understand about your health. The Bible gives some of the best advice and counsel about health, but you also understand about death, that for the Christian there is no death. These bodies may die, but when we die, we slip into the presence of Jesus Christ where we're alive forevermore. Can we give him a hand of praise for that as well this morning? So my question to all of us this morning is where do you need light at? On that running trail Monday night, I didn't need light in the forest. I didn't need light everywhere else. I just needed to see what was in front of me. And friends, when it comes to life, you'll never, never, never My little grandson will say sometimes, never, 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 ever. You will never, never, ever understand life until, first of all, you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. You say, well, Pastor, that's an awfully harsh thing to say because you just read it in John chapter 1 that there are people that reject and God still loves them. Well, that's true. I believe it. God loves them. We love them. But it's not fair to them to say that you won't understand life until you receive Jesus Christ. 
Notice what the Bible also says. Again, not in your outline. 2 Corinthians 4.3 says, the Bible says, Satan has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. We're not angry at blind people. Now, I get angry when I see somebody act blind and they're not blind. There was a man recently came to a restaurant that Becky and I were having dinner at and he came in and he was smiling and he was tapping along with his cane and then he sat down and started laughing, laid the cane on the table. He wasn't blind at all and I thought, how cruel to mock somebody that's blind and can't see their way and to come in and, and take advantage of people's kindness and generosity. It's kind of like people that are healthy taking handicapped parking spaces and parking in them because they're too lazy to walk down the parking lot when genuine people who need those spaces are parking at the back of the parking lot and can't get there. Why do people do things like that? The Bible says Satan has blinded their minds. And friends, we don't hate people that are blind. We don't hate people that are crippled. We don't hate people with mental health issues. There are people that are absolutely blind about the real issues of life. And that's why Jesus has come to heal them of their blindness. Look at Isaiah 9 2. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Circle that phrase right there in your outline. A light will shine. And then in John 8 12, that preposition is so important. If if, if you follow me, if you believe in me, if you accept me, if you receive me, if you follow me, you will have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. So it's not a cruel thing. It's actually the most loving thing in the world I can do when I share the good news of Jesus Christ with my lost friends. As a matter of fact, could I be just a little bold with those of you and that are followers of Jesus Christ, it's also the most ungodly thing you can do not to build relationships and share your faith in Jesus Christ with lost people. Why would you not share with them the hope of the world? Why would you not share with them how to find light? Your friends will come to believe as they come to understand through you. Look at John 8, verse 28. When you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am he. What happens? He's not just talking about the fact that when he was crucified. He's talking about you will understand. Circle that phrase, you will understand. Say that with me. You will understand. Say it again. You will understand. Last week, we talked about two things. God says there are some things you can't know, there are some things you can know. We talked about that last week. Here he's talking about life and he says you will understand when you humble yourself when you realize there's more to life than science can explain, when you realize that though we may call them the laws of science, it's what's holding this world together is Jesus Christ, that in him we live and move and we breathe and we have our being, but the Bible says that in him and through him and by him all things exist. What we call gravity or any of the other laws of nature, it's the laws of God. It's the hand of God at work in our lives. Friends, there are miracles happening around you each and every day. I don't need to see the crippled man walk to believe in miracles. Just the fact that this planet is orbiting the sun and the, and the seasons change and that the universe exists, it's the supernatural work of God at work every single day of our lives. And so when we teach our children science or we read science textbooks, let's just don't read those and call those laws. Those laws would not be there if there was not an almighty God. 
And when we humble ourselves before this almighty God, then we understand why Christ was crucified. Then we pray to him. Then we commit ourselves to him. Then we obey him. Then we surrender him because we have found a guide, a guide who is the light of the world. You wouldn't worry nearly as much. You wouldn't be stressed nearly as much. You wouldn't get fed up nearly as much. You wouldn't be knotted up. Have you ever noticed all these little descriptive phrases we use? I'm just fed up with that person right there. You mean, it's like a Thanksgiving meal. I said, Becky, I can't eat anymore. I want to, but I can't. You know what I'm talking about? That's a good fed up. But we use that as just knotted up. Have you ever tried to untangle a pair of iPhone headphones? Do you know what I'm talking about? You're driving down the road, you want to listen, you don't want to disturb your wife, and you reach over to grab them, and there they're all in a knot. I hope you don't try to unknot them and drive, but you know, you just can't. Have you ever been fishing and you've gotten, you know what a bird's nest is with the fishing line and you try to unknot it? I have a real simple solution to that. Cut the string and start all over again. <laughs> you know, we get all knotted up in life. Sometimes we just say, I'm just eaten up. You literally are. You wouldn't be living that way nearly so much if you understood who Christ is and God says you can. You don't have to be afraid of him. It's why John writes, look at me, don't miss this. There's something sometimes I have to teach you that may sound just a little bit boring. It's why John writes differently than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's why John writes about the holiness of God differently than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's why John remains the perennial favorite of even unbelievers because God, John shows us that God is both approachable, God is both loving, God is both holy, God is both just, but God is approachable and loving and kind, and he has sent his son into this world to save human beings like you and me. Let's give him another hand. I mean, really worship him for that. Worship the Lord this morning. It's why I think that sometimes there are people in the world that really try to distort the image of God. It's why I think there are movies that try to distort the image of God and show him as a petulant little boy appearing to Noah. And somebody writes, all the creativity of showing us what God is like. Blind people cannot tell you what God is like. Blind people spiritually cannot tell you. I have seen people, listen to me, I have seen people healed supernaturally of blindness. I've seen God take people who've never seen and given them sight. I have heard and talked to those people who in God has touched those blinded eyes from birth, from childhood. God has touched and healed them. And they tell me about how flowers look and colors look and trees look. And they said, you know, I was my mind. I was always trying to imagine. You can build a scene in your mind, but because I never saw it, I couldn't really imagine it. But now that I can see and they begin to cry and they begin to weep, I'm telling you, you may 
may have a distorted image of God made by Hollywood. You may have a distorted image of God made by some cruel Christian who is judgmental and critical of you. You may have a cruel, distorted image of God, but if you'll simply say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are who you said you are, and I receive you today. I don't receive the criticism of somebody else. I don't receive the blindness of somebody else. I want the light of Jesus Christ. Suddenly, light will penetrate your mind. He will heal you of your spiritual blindness, and you will know God for who he really is this morning. Hallelujah. That's why John wrote his gospel. You want to know what God is like? Read about Jesus. Don't just talk to me or to your Christian friend. Read those four gospels and read about how he loved those that nobody else would love. He would touch those that nobody else would touch. He would feed those that nobody else would feed. He would save those that nobody else would save. And he never, ever, ever condemned anybody, but he brought them to himself. Now, he had harsh words to say to people like me who preach the gospel and misrepresent him. He said, woe to us for doing those kinds of things. It would be better for you that a millstone were placed around your neck and you were thrown into the deepest sea. He says, you will receive a double judgment just for preaching. God has harsh words to say to those who represent him. Friends, let's represent the light of the world as he is represented in the book. Can we give him one more hand of praise this morning? This is so exciting. Well, let's wrap this up this morning. The light of Christmas increases my joy both today and eternally. You see, when I receive Jesus, my joy begins then. And I got to tell you, I, I've lived for the Lord for a long time now. I've been through some, don't let me, I've been through some disappointing times, heartbreaking times. Becky and I have been through some stressful times. I've watched our children go through difficult times. I've walked through difficult times with families in the church and families in other parts. I, would lead, I know what it is to experience difficulty and pain. I, I can remember those days, baby, do you remember when we first got married and we would have to pray just to have enough to eat sometimes in those days. The biggest kitchen, can I, can I share this? This is totally impromptu. The biggest kitchen Becky ever had, she complained about we lived in the church. The church kitchen was our kitchen. Church bathroom was our bathroom. Every time Becky cooked, everybody knew what we were having for Sunday dinner. But I remember her saying one time, I just wish I had my own little kitchen. She has never had a kitchen as big as that kitchen, and she's never been happy with any kitchen that she's ever had because it's not big enough. <laughs> We've laughed about those days. Becky told me we never were this deprived, but I remember Becky Becky's father pastored and planted some little churches, and there were times where they would go visiting just hoping that somebody would invite them to stay for dinner. We know what difficult and hard times were. My mother was the daughter of a sharecropper, and boy, that was, that, you just don't get much lower than that in the South on the economic ladder. When my mother got a job, she bought all of her earnings home. My father took over the family farm at six years old working with his grandmother when my grandfather passed away. My father worked all of his life, paid for that farm. And all that, the, you want to know where I learned generosity from? I learned it from Buford Clannon. Because when my father sold that farm, 
He took the, he had paid for that farm. It was so in debt. And he took and had that farm's profits and proceeds divided up among his brothers and his sister's families. He said, it's only right. This was the family farm. You see, people who go through hard times don't have to be bitter. People who go through hard and difficult times, the light of Jesus Christ will make them better. The light of Jesus Christ will take those hard times and they will bring something beautiful out. People who've never experienced hardship, they don't know what it means to be a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. So no matter where you're at, what challenging or difficult time that you're in, God gives you joy both now and eternally. My joy is not in heaven only. My joy is in this life. It's in my, my relationship with Christ. It's in my marriage. It's in my children. It's in you. It's in our community. This week, I was being interviewed by a newspaper, and, and they were asking me some very pointed questions, and I never shy away from speaking the answers to those questions, but beloved, hear me when I tell you this morning. The fact of the matter is, joy is not just in heaven. There is a joy to be had every day of life, whether rich or poor, whether educated or non-educated, whether you live in America or whether you live in the third world. People who say that this doesn't work in the third world, they have not been with me to the third world, where I've sat in huts, where I've sat with people on doorsteps and live on doorsteps. And those folks have discovered the joy of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, there is joy in this life today because Christmas happened, because Jesus Christ came into this world to save us from our sins. There's joy in this life. I was in Bangladesh, out in the country outside of Dhaka, and I'll never forget one of the churches and schools and clinics that you and I had built here from this church. And while I was sitting there with some children that were very poor, very deprived, they came to the church every single day where they got an education they would not get because of the church. They got a meal that they would not get because of the church. They got clothes and shoes that they would not get because of the church. And every day the children did not want to take their clothes home because the homes that they live in, you could not imagine the filth of where they lived. And I went with them to their homes. I sat in their homes. I sat in their floors. I shared their meals with them. I shared meals that where they just had squeezed cow manure together to cook over them. And yet I saw such joy coming into those people's lives and their lives being transformed. I sat with a little girl that had been sold to a Muslim man at seven years old. And now she was 11 years old. And this Muslim man was so touched by what the church was doing that he permitted his 11-year-old wife to come to the church and I held her and she gave her heart to Jesus Christ that day but she couldn't tell her husband and later I found out after I got back that she was beaten and she was punished for giving her heart to Jesus but she refused to recant her faith at 11 years old why because this gospel is real beloved there is a joy unspeakable and full of glory and it's time for the church to wake up and remember what a mighty God we serve what a mighty God we serve a mighty mighty God we serve despite beating and affliction children who know the joy of the Lord it's why I get so frustrated with milk warm Christians friends we have said it our mission here to become what 
passionate followers of Jesus Christ. Let's be that. Joy now and eternally. And you say, Pastor, that sounds good when you get all worked up like that, and I apologize, but it's genuine. But what does that rest upon? It rests upon this very next verse. For to us, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. This is probably one of the most famous passages of Scripture in all of America. It's in our capitals. It's in our, in our state buildings. For unto us a child is born, a son is given. The government will rest upon his shoulders, and he will be called a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and his peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. And the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. You say, Pastor, why is that so powerful? Why is that put on so many government buildings in America? Why, if you're like me, I hear the Messiah in my head going on right now. For unto us a child is born. I wish I could sing. Unto us. In the car, I do really, really good. I hear those words ringing in my head. Why? Wonderful counselor. How many of you have ever needed to talk to a counselor before? Could you, do you mind slipping up your hand and say, I've needed to talk to a counselor? Sure. Many of us in this room. Sometimes people will come to me and they say, you know, Pastor, I, I went to see a counselor and they never looked me in the eye. They really weren't listening, but they just told me a lot of stuff. And I had to pay for that. You don't have to pay for anything. Everything that God gives you is absolutely free. It's all of grace. Amen? Grace is when God gives me something I don't deserve. Mercy is when God doesn't give me what I really do deserve. A wonderful counselor. God knows you better than you know yourself. He's the mighty God. You're not serving some little fat Buddha sitting on a shelf somewhere. You're not serving some little happy idol. You're not serving some false religion. You're not serving some cruel God. Jesus calls us to love our enemies, not kill our enemies. Jesus calls us not to fear death and to go out and kill somebody because we fear death. Jesus calls us to go out and lay down our lives even for our enemies, just like while we were still the enemies of God, Christ laid down his life for us at Calvary. It's why you can't put Christianity in a bottle and call it a religion. It's not a religion. It is a relationship with the almighty God of the universe. I would love to walk you through all of them, but can I just give you one more before we move on? He's the everlasting father. Some of you don't know who your dad was. Some of you maybe grew up in foster homes. Some of you were adopted. Some of you come from backgrounds where you had a cruel dad or you had a neglectful dad. Some of you come from backgrounds that you had to learn how to be a dad because there was no dad in the scene. But God is an everlasting father, a God that loves you, a God that knows you, a God that cares for you, a God that will never forsake you, a God that will never abandon you, a God that knows everything you've thought, said, or done, and still says you are his beloved. He is the everlasting father, and heaven nor hell can't take that love away from you. Nobody can pluck you from the hand of God, neither the powers of heaven nor the powers of hell. God is the everlasting father. And I got to tell you, it may sound trite, but he does have a wonderful plan for your life. And when the light of Christ shines, it changes everything. I found Bono 
not only to be an incredible entertainer. These last few years where he's become so outspoken about his faith, I found that to be pretty incredible. But in 2005, he responded to an interview when they asked him about religion. This is what he said. He says, basically, there are two ways to live your life, karma or grace. Karma is the idea that what goes around comes around. You get what you deserve. But then he said that Christianity, the Christian biblical concept of grace means, I mean, obviously, he studied this to be able to even talk like this. The Christian biblical concept of grace means that we get gifts we don't deserve. I'm glad at the end of the day, karma is not going to be my final judge because I've done some stuff that I'm ashamed of and I failed in a lot of ways and I failed to love God and I failed to love my neighbor. But in the end, I'm not going to be judged by karma. I'm going to be judged by a God of grace and I'm making all my hope on the fact that Jesus carried my sins on the cross and I'm going to be judged by his grace. That's about as biblical a statement as I've ever read. And I wish that my daddy was still alive so I could have read that to him because he hated rock and roll. (laughs) My only redeeming characteristic was in that I love country music too, so we got along pretty good. 1 Peter chapter 2, 24, listen. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. And by his wounds, you are healed. The Bible goes on to say, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. That's what I'm asking you if you're not a believer this morning. That's all I'm asking you to do is humble yourself and understand that what Christmas is all about. Why do we come back to this season? Blow up choo-choo trains, little bobbing snowmen, Christmas trees, as pretty and as fun as those things are, they're not going to change your life. And all the gifts that you're buying and maybe putting on your credit card, hoping that maybe you'll just get the right gift or maybe you'll give the right gift, it's not going to change your life. But there's one gift that will if you'll just simply believe. And I know you can do that. Look at me. I know you can do that. If you can watch Polar Express and go, believe. If you can watch some of the children's movies that are out right now where they're saying, just believe. Something about children, they believe. There is a childlike part of you that you can believe. Look at me. You can believe because what you're believing in is archaeologically, historically, intellectually been proven that there was a Jewish Messiah that arose and was crucified for our sins and died upon Calvary. There are people who reject that, but he did it. But there is also over 500 eyewitnesses who were willing to give their lives to testify this same Jesus rose from the dead. Would you just Think with me. Think, think, think. Don't let the blind people of this world shape your thinking. How is it that a peasant born to a 
peasant that there could be this much historical, archeological, biblical, and intellectual evidence found. There are entire civilizations that we've not been able to discover archeological existence of. We know they existed, but entire civilizations that have disappeared. But one baby born to one peasant girl who died a thief's death upon a cross somewhere in Jerusalem, there is biblical, historical, archeological evidence you can believe because God is alive this morning. (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Think it through and see if these things be not true. And I'm asking you to humble yourself and put your faith in Christ. And finally, I'm speaking to the rest of you this time at your growth work. Now, what does it mean to be a witness? What does it mean truly to be a witness? To be a witness for Christ is to be much more than someone that signs an affidavit. I saw this accident happen. It means much more than to say, you know, I witnessed these couple getting married. I was there when they got married. To be a witness in the Bible when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you mean that you are saying, I've been transformed? God has changed my life? The person I once was, I am no more? God's grace has completely changed me? I have a new purpose I have power for living. I have a new love even for my enemies. I'm a brand new creation. That's what it means. You firsthand have experienced the power of Jesus Christ in your life. And if that is you, would you raise your hand this morning? You say, I have been transformed by Christ. Can I see your hand? Lift it up high. Lift it up high. You are witnesses to that. You can put them down. And when you bear witness to that, you go into some of the most challenging places in life. You walk into the ER, and there's something about you. You bring joy and peace. You bring hope. We've all, myself included, we've had those people walk in and go, oh, this looks bad. Boy, let's pray. God, would you just get him ready to go to heaven right now? And you're like, oh. You ever been around those people that just like emotional vampires, they pull it out of you? And then there are other people, they walk into your room, and boy, when they walk into your room, they bring hope, they bring faith. You make a difference. You make a difference when you walk into your job. I read this week about a man who said, let me tell you why I became a Christian. So I worked in the gripiness, most complaining office Every morning, we all got together. We drank our coffee together, and we talked about how bad the boss was, how bad the company was. We talked about how hard our lives were. We talked about how hard it was to meet our quotas and said, this one person got hired. And every day they came in, they brought a smile, they brought hope, they talked about Jesus, and suddenly I began to believe. And that's how I became a Christian. You see, you bring hope into the classroom. You bring hope onto the line. You bring hope into the office. You bring hope wherever you go. Some of us this morning, we get a phone call. And when we get that phone call, people are calling us not just because they want to pour out their troubles. They're calling us because they need a witness. They need someone that will pray with them. Someone that will see them. 
someone that will stop and take time. It always amazes me in the Bible how often people got aggravated with Jesus because they had an agenda for Jesus and Jesus would stop along the way to heal somebody, to bless a child, to feed somebody, and they were always saying, Jesus, you don't have time. Friends, can I tell you, he's got all the time in the world. Don't you want some of it? Don't you want some of it? He's got it. You say, Pastor, how can I be that this week? Be considerate. You go to the mall, you go to the grocery store, be considerate of people, help them. Show kindness to them. Go to work. Be considerate. Think of ways. Say, God, how can I help somebody? How can I help my neighbor? What can I do just to be considerate? You don't even have to leave a tract or say anything. Just be considerate. The second thing that says, believe that at that moment, God's going to use you to connect to other people. We're going to be giving you five tickets to pass out just to say this is what's happening at Woodland. Come to Woodland. Be a part of Woodland. Just come enjoy Christmas at Woodland this year. But believe at that moment, God, I've seen it happen personally time after time again. If you're just considerate and you talk to someone, they'll respond. And then you might just simply say something like, hey, God bless you. Have a Merry Christmas. And I promise you there will be a few people who turn around and they'll say, thank you, or God bless you, or you have a Merry Christmas. Or sometimes people will go... Why are you so helpful? Why are you so kind? God's using you to connect. He creates those moments. And then the third thing I'd ask you to do is would you communicate to everybody, everybody there welcome at Woodland? For years, I've read Frank Bruni's column in the New York Times. I read him only so I can argue with him. I read him so I know what's being said about so many things I disagree with. But recently, Frank wrote an article in the Times that helped me understand him. I didn't realize that he was homosexual. And he talks about the most difficult and hard experiences of his life was how he was treated by the church, the names he were called and the things that were said about him. Friends, that's not how God calls us to love people. That's not, God doesn't call us to judge them. He calls us to love them. That doesn't mean that we don't recognize. It's very clear in this community what I stand for. No one has a question about that. No one. That's the reason I get talked to sometimes. No one has a question. But we don't win people to Christ by condemning them. We love them. I have run every day this week asking myself, what would have happened differently in Frank's life if somebody had just simply said to him, Frank, God understands you. God understands what's going on in your life. Frank, this is not right. And God can heal you. God can change you. And when people are trying to say that God can't change you, they're denying the gospel. God can change every man, woman, and child that put their faith in him. And we just want to communicate to everybody they're welcome at Woodland Church. And then finally, I'm going to ask you, use your Twitter, use your email, use your Facebook, call, invite, love people, and I promise you, 
we're going to offer them hope and light in Jesus Christ this Christmas season. Can you say amen? amen? Well, Father, I love you with all of my heart. It's always been our desire, Lord, to be a, a local church with a global vision. So I pray that you will make this a global Christmas for us. You have bought the world. You have bought the world right here to this metro area. You bought the world to Downriver. And I ask you that you will help us to connect with people and to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. I pray that as we bring our tithes and offerings this morning, especially as we give to missions today, I'm asking you, Lord, to take our gifts and use them for your glory and use them for your honor, realizing, Father, that you will pour back into our lives abundantly. Finally, I pray for those who do not know you yet as their Lord and Savior. And they're not quite sure how they got here this morning. But I'm asking you to heal them of their blindness and to see you for who you really are. That to all who believe and to all accept, Lord, you give them the right to become sons and daughters of God. If that's you this morning and you're just kind of confused about life or maybe you've kind of gotten negative and says this is how it's always going to be and something's kind of stirring inside of you and there's hope that there's a God in heaven who loves you and that what Jesus did at Calvary was for you as well, I'm asking you to pray this prayer with me. Just pray it quietly. Say, dear God, I am so sorry for my sins. I'm so ashamed. Like Bono, Lord, there are things that I've done that I'm so ashamed of. But I believe in your grace and I'll not be judged by karma, but I'll be judged by what Christ did for me at Calvary and my faith in that. Now, I don't understand it all yet, but on this first Sunday of Advent, I want to give my heart and life to you. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, Amen.